chapter 4. You'll find 1 Thessalonians toward the second half of your Bible, um, right before 2 Thessalonians, which is before 1 and 2 Timothy. 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm actually going to read three passages of Scripture. I'm going to talk the most about 1 Thessalonians 4. I'll refer back to this one. Um, I'm going to start by reading. I was very encouraged this morning at the breakfast table. I was reviewing my notes, as is my custom, and the girls were eating breakfast with me. And one of them said, are you going to say that this morning in church? I said, yes. They said, are you going to say all that this morning in church? I said, yes. And the other one said, that will take too long. Let's read God's Word, shall we? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. I want to read the first eight verses here. Uh, then I'm going to flip over to the book of Titus, but we'll start in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Keep your finger there and turn with me over just one or two books to Titus, the book of Titus, chapter 2. Titus is actually just a couple books to the right of 1 Thessalonians, and I'm going to read the first eight verses of Titus 2. Titus 2. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Verse 3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, soundness, and, and uh, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. And listen to one more verse. It's short from Proverbs 18, verse 22. Just listen. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Last week I read an article from CNN's website about the controversy swirling around a new book. If you were to walk into Barnes & Noble Noble or Borders, you would find a new book on the shelves from uh, an author by the name of Lori Gottlieb. The book is called Marry Him, The Case for Settling for Mr. Good Enough. Uh, The concept of settling is driving women, particularly single women in their 30s and 40s, uh, crazy, and they're complaining about how Lori Gottlieb has betrayed womanhood. 
Actually, the author claims that she has been uh, misunderstood. Part of her book is about the differences between men and women in evaluating potential marriage partners. Here's a study uh, that was conducted. Uh, In one study, men and women were both asked this. If you got 80% of everything you wanted of your ideal traits in a mate or partner, would you be happy? 80%. The majority of women said, no, that's settling, while the majority of men said, 80%, I'd be thrilled, that's a catch. (laughs) She also asked a group of men and women what would keep them from going on a second date with someone. Men had a list of about three things, women had a list of 300 things. She says, I'm using the word settle. I am not talking about lowering your standards, but about lowering your expectations. Uh, This is the new hot topic book when it comes to love and romance. It will be on the shelves for a while and something new will come and replace it. There is an endless parade in our world of books, seminars, conferences, magazines, and articles telling us about how relationships are supposed to work. Our culture has an insatiable hunger for the secret that will help them find or make it work with their one true love. If you Google the word matchmaking, you'll find 12 million hits. If you Google the word dating, you'll find 460 million hits. One and a half for every American. Uh, We're talking these days about singleness. Uh, The single adult population is one of the fastest growing segments of our population due to divorce, cohabitation, delaying marriage. Americans are spending more and more time as single adults. Some trends actually suggest that the average American will spend more of his time as an adult uh, single than they will uh, as married. So far we've talked about the the relationship between singleness and the gospel, singleness and loneliness, singleness and contentment. Uh, Singleness offers you the opportunity to glorify God and serve the church by displaying undivided devotion to Christ, even while it presents specific challenges related to contentment and loneliness. Today, I want to talk to you about moving from singleness to marriage as we finish this uh, brief tour into this topic. I confess that I have had a certain amount of unease about these messages, a certain lack of, of confidence, and my hesitation this morning is just as strong as if, if not even worse than the previous three weeks. Um, Here's why. This morning, I don't want to undo whatever progress I've made in helping you get a new vision for singleness. If you look on the website, I've titled these uh, sermons uh, by singleness and something else. The first week was singleness and uh, the gospel, and then singleness and contentment, and singleness and loneliness. And and, uh, Ryan Nelson, who put the the sermons on the website, said, what are you going to call next week? I I said, I don't know, singleness and the escape? I'm not sure. (laughs) The Apostle Paul preferred singleness. It's a gifted, glorious life. I hope over the last few weeks that you have learned that singleness is not a disease or a curse. Uh, it's, It's a life that demands specific assistance from God, specific kindness and grace. I dodged the question a few weeks ago about the gift of singleness. You should consider whether or not you have it. If you're married, you don't. 
Uh, but you should consider, some people have a unique, God-given capacity to live as a single adult. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 suggests to me that that capacity can be recognized by a high degree of self-control when it comes to sexual intimacy. I hope that you've grown in appreciation for this gift, this life opportunity, and the role that you can play in the church while you're single for however long that lasts. I, I want that to have happened over the last few weeks. And yet... Over 90% of you will get married someday without throwing away all of the positive things that the Bible says about singleness. Let us recognize that it is not wrong to want to get married. And most of you will get married. And uh, if you do not have the gift of singleness, while you are stewarding your singleness well, you should be moving toward marriage. You should be thinking about it. So I don't want to erase all the progress that we've made as a church in thinking about singleness. The other reason I'm I'm hesitant to talk about this today is because the process of moving from singleness to marriage is a controversial subject in the church. Should I call what we're talking today, uh, uh, should I call what we're talking about today dating or courtship? Well, uh, several years ago, Joshua Harris wrote a book where he kissed dating goodbye, and then Jeremy Clark wrote a book called I Gave Dating a Chance. And then Joshua Harris wrote Boy Meets Girl about courtship, and Douglas Wilson added a book about courtship. And if you don't like dating or courting, you could always try betrothal. That's what Jonathan Linvell argues for in his website uh, and in his ministry. Why bother to get, the girl bef- get to know the girl before you promise your life to her? Do it after your betrothed. That works, according to Jonathan Linville. The American system of dating has problems, uh, but believers differ over exactly what those problems are and how to fix them. And sometimes if you use the wrong term in the wrong context, if I say dating and you're thinking about all the awful things about dating, or if I say courting and you have a certain idea about courting, uh, you may uh, stop listening because of what you think I'm saying. I think, actually, that the problems with courting and dating have mostly to do with the fact that it's sinful people that are dating and courting rather than with the process of dating and courting. It's the people, not the method, that's most often the problem. The other reason this subject today uh, gives me pause is because it's a massive subject. There is so much more than I could address uh, than, than what I'm actually going to say here. Uh, that's why I included a list of some extra resources in the, uh, the bulletin. Listen to what Proverbs 30, 18, and 19 says. Listen to these verses. There are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maiden. I don't understand how ships sail, how eagles fly, how snakes move, and I don't understand how men and women get together, the author of Proverbs is saying. What I will say today, I think, is shaped by the context. We're sitting here today, God's people, together to study God's Word. The whole church is here. This is not a seminar for um, young adults and I ask myself, what do I want, what do I think the entire congregation needs to hear or needs to know about this subject? 
What should every believer who is part of our congregation know and think about the process of moving from singleness to marriage in a healthy way? That's the question I want to answer this morning. In order to do that, uh, I want to give you three commands. (laughs) Three commands for moving from singleness to marriage in a healthy way. Here's the first one. Number one, keep marriage as the goal. Keep marriage as the goal. Maybe it's strange to start here considering we're talking about moving to marriage, but keeping marriage in view is a countercultural message. The focus of dating today, by and large, is on recreation or on having fun or finding someone to pal around with and escape the drudgery of life. It's about romance. It's about love. It's about finding somebody that makes you happy. It is not about getting to marriage. Uh, We live in, in a culture where marriage is increasingly devalued. It takes second place to my education or to your career or to your financial goals. One common attitude is that while I pursue my goals, while I get the job I want or the degree I want or the house I want, in the meantime, I just want someone to have a good time with. Without, though, setting aside the magnificence of of singleness, the Bible's vision for adulthood is that you will enter a committed relationship uh, which the Bible calls marriage. It's the Bible's expectation. Most of you will get married, and the Bible expects that most people will get married. This is the goal. When Adam was in the Garden of Eden and alone, God did not give him a girlfriend or a female buddy, or a friend with benefits, or someone he could play with until he got the whole managing the earth thing down. God gave Adam a wife in the garden. In 1 Timothy 3 and and Titus 1, the Bible provides requirements for elders. Um, They don't have to be married. Elders do not have to be married. But if they are married, they must be men who are leading their wives and families well. Leading a family, leading a wife is a sign of maturity. Marriage is the place where God provided for the normal, healthy expression of sexual desire. And normally, as the Bible is written and describes life, Sexual maturity and marriage have a correlation together. The goal here is marriage. Keep that in mind. You're not looking for a pal or for a friend or to someone to flitter around the days with until you decide to grow up. And this has all kinds of practical implications. When, when marriage is the goal, it, has, it shows up in how you treat members of the opposite sex practically. Let, let me just mention a few practical considerations. Um, here's, here's the first one. If you're not ready to get married, you're not ready to date or court. If you're a sophomore in high school, you don't need a girlfriend. Uh, so don't have one. The goal of dating or courting is cultivating a relationship that leads to marriage. And you're so far away from marriage when you're 15 years old, you don't need a significant other. If you're not going to roast the turkey for seven years, don't preheat the oven. (laughs) Here's another practical... (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) 
Here's another practical consideration, all right? If, you, if your marriage, if, if your focus is going to be on marriage, if you're not married, your focus should be on getting ready to be married, especially if you're of age to get married. If you're 15 years old, you should be thinking long-term, someday I'm going to be a husband, someday I'm going to be a wife, and there's going to be skills and things that I'm going to need to know, and you should be thinking about that. You should be thinking about that even more if you're 22, The Bible calls you away from perpetual adolescence and the world calls you into perpetual adolescence. They are extending adolescence now. Sociologists are arguing that you should be considered a teenager until you're 25. See, Nintendo and Sony and Microsoft don't want you to grow up because they want you to continue buying their video games. And they want you to continue to buy their electronic toys. They want to keep your mind in the junior high entertain me mode as long as possible. Unless you are using this time as a single adult for a a specific purpose, missions, some sort of ministry, maybe education, although I don't know that that's always a reason, your focus should be on becoming the type of man who will be a good husband or the type of woman who will be a good wife. That's what keeping marriage as a goal means. You're getting ready for it. You're looking for those skills and, and that knowledge that is going to come necessary. Here's, here's a final practical consideration of having marriage as a goal. Uh, remember that whenever you are with a young lady or with a young man, you are spending time with someone's future spouse. Maybe yours, but maybe somebody else's. Keep that in mind. It will affect how you relate to that person. Uh, when we make at our house bi-weekly trips to the library. We drive downtown to the Lancaster Library, we turn our books in, and we check out a whole bunch of other books. And when I get those books home, I treat them like they're my books, and I never think about the people who had them before me or the people who are going to have them after me. Uh, I leave them in the car when it's cold. I, I eat dinner and or eat lunch and read books sometimes at the table. I read books in, in the bed. Occasionally, one of the kids will accidentally rip a page of the book, and we tape it up and report it to the librarian about what we have done to the book. It, we fix it. We, it, it. It's no big deal. It happens, and the books go back to the library. They're, they belong to the library, and I never think about the man or the woman or the child who's going to pick up that book after I have that book, after I've left it out in the cold or set it on my dirty kitchen table or read in my bed with that book. But when you're with a young lady or a young man, you must remember that someday that person will probably belong to someone else, if if not you. So you need to guard very carefully what you give them and what you take from them. That's one of the the ways, I think, in which 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, speaks to us. Uh, Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.4. It says... Each of you should learn how to control his own body, and you may have a footnote that says, or acquire a wife in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust. Translators struggle with this verse. How exactly do we we translate this verse? I think in the context of moving from singleness to marriage, it doesn't really matter. You need to control your own body and acquire a wife in a way that is holy and honorable. When it comes to your body... Your sexual purity, be careful what you give and what you take. 
Here's a wonderful image for you to consider. 1 Timothy 5, we read 1 Timothy 5, uh, 2 last week. Paul says that you're to treat younger women as sisters with all purity. Here's, here's a good practice. Don't do anything with a young lady that you would not do with your sister and you'll be fine. Listen, you don't want to sit in this room. Some of you young men who are not married, someday you're going to be elders. And I will be thrilled. I'll be so happy that you'll be elders. I'm looking forward to that day when you become elders in our congregation. And if you're dating some young lady in our church, you don't want to be the elder that's passing her the communion tray knowing that you crossed lines with her that you should not have crossed and now you're married to somebody else. You don't want that experience. God's grace is abundant. That's, I, I, we celebrated that when we partake of the Lord's Supper. But I want to spare you from that sorrow of when you pass that tray, having those memories come back. Paul isn't concerned here with, with just sexual purity. He's concerned with emotional purity too. Um, verse 6 uh, is, is continuing in this regard. It says, And in this matter, in this matter of your, the purity of your relationships, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. A brother or a sister. The, the phrase there, um, take advantage, means to go beyond or to cross the line. Don't make emotional promises or share intimate details of your spiritual and emotional life with someone who may become some other man's wife or some other woman's husband. Keep marriage as the goal. And since you're moving there, you want to treat the young lady, the young man that you're with, carefully. Let's move on to a, a second commandment this morning here for moving from singleness to marriage wisely. It's a two-word commandment. Here it is. Men lead. Men, comma, capital L, E-A-D, exclamation point. Men lead. Uh, since marriage is the goal, there are certain things about your relationship that ought to fit the pattern for marriage. We're committed to the idea in our church that in marriage, God assigns the role of leadership to men. It's in Ephesians 5. It says that, that men are to love their wives like Christ loved the church. It's leadership that has the trajectory of nurturing spiritual maturity. Christ gave His life to people, so that people who are estranged from God and ugly because of sin might be white and pure and radiant before Him in glory. And husbands are to love their wives. They give their lives in order to woo and disciple and model and cherish their wives into holiness. Since that's the husband's chief responsibility, leadership ought to show up in your dating life or in your courtship. Here's a concern of mine from this sermon on singleness. A negative consequence from this series. Some of you might, under the guise of, of a spiritual commitment to singleness, be passive. You should be moving to marriage, but, but instead of doing anything about it, you're saying, well, I'm just trying to be spiritual and single. When you should be moving toward marriage. The bane of the American church, passive men. In, in her book, Where Have All the Good Men Gone?, A.J. Kissling reports her findings. She surveyed 120 Christian uh, women, and she asked these women, what's the most common complaint that you have about men? And here's the answer. 
Over and over, she says, I heard the words, I wish men would step up to the plate and take a risk in asking me out. What keeps young men passive? Oh, I think the simple answer to the question is fear. Fear of rejection. When you were in fifth grade, it was okay to pass notes to the cute girl and ask her, will you go out with me, circle yes or no. That was okay in fifth grade. It was cute. It is neither cute nor manly to ask a young lady's friends or to stalk her Facebook page to see if she might be willing to go out with you. Uh, Man up and do what is right. If she says no, you can be discouraged. Uh, You can be sad. You can feel rejected. But you don't give up on life. Uh, Fear of rejection. But I actually think there's a more insidious fear that grips hearts. It's the fear of narrowing your options. See, when you're a young adult, you have countless options about what you're going to do and where you're going, uh, what sort of career, what sort of education you have. You have all these options, and sometimes having all these options actually paralyzes you. What should I do? I don't know. Because if if you commit to one path or if you commit to to one young lady, how do you know that another path or someone that that might better suit you might come along? If If you close these options down, what if you miss out on something great because you acted too quickly? If you're always afraid to do anything because you might miss out on something, you will end up doing nothing. Be very careful about worshiping the idol of the next opportunity. Sometimes you should be pursuing marriage. Alex Chediak writes this in in his book called uh, With One Voice, a fine book about uh, moving to marriage uh, wisely. And he writes about his experience as a young college student. He, he was thinking to himself, yes, I'm single and, and I can give myself over to particular ministries and it's just great, uh, it's wonderful. And he said, the only problem in my life, I just had this pretty significant problem, it wasn't determinative, but it was pretty significant, is, he said, my own struggle with sexual purity and pornography. And, and he was not pursuing, he was having that problem, but he was not pursuing actively God's only solution for uh, sexual purity, which is marriage. At the beginning of the service, I read uh, Proverbs 18.22. I'll read it again. He who finds a wife find what is good, finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. I will point out, as I read in an article, an amazing fact, find, gentlemen, is a verb. This is what men do. They brave the rejection. They take action. This is what you do. Now, question. Can a woman ever initiate a relationship? Is that ever okay? Some of you remember Sadie Hawkins' day? Remember Sadie Hawkins' day? Sadie Hawkins' is a, a day is an American folk holiday. It comes from the comic strip uh, Little Abner. So one day of the year, according to American culture in the 1950s, when women could ask out men. Uh, That used to be the culture today. High school girls have no shame and are sometimes quite predatory. (laughs) Can women ever initiate? Maybe, perhaps. There's no verse. Can, Can you go up to a guy and say, you know, if you were to ask me out, I might say yes. You've got to say yes after you do that. That's just a point of clarification. Um, 
Maybe you can. Ruth did it. Didn't Ruth do that? She went to Boaz, spread your garment over me. If you start that, know, though, ladies, that that better not become a pattern in your relationship because the healthy way to move from singleness to marriage is to have men lead. Here's my third commandment. All right, third command. Pursue marriage in the context of community. Pursue marriage in the context of community. Uh, Within the last 100 years in America, moving from singleness to marriage has become an increasingly singular activity. It used to be that young men would call on young women in their homes and the family would be there. Then, during the 1920s, uh, young men started taking their young ladies out, uh, away from their homes. And, And the dating life became a solitary life. But moving from singleness to marriage is not meant to be a singular, a solitary activity. Society in general, and the church in particular, has an interest in your marriage. Society is interested in your marriage because your marriage will most likely produce at least one child. And children need to be educated and immunized and policed and protected. So society has an interest in your marriage. The church has an even greater interest in your marriage. The church is interested in your marriage because your marriage is supposed to be a model of the relationship between Christ and His church. That's why marriage is not just about you and your spouse. We all have an interest in your marriage. Uh, You either represent our Lord well or you will represent our Lord poorly. And I want Him to represent you well. Now, when I say pursue marriage in a community, that definitely includes your nuclear family. Your, your, your parents should be part of the process. But in our time together, I want to think more specifically about the community of the church. Again, without throwing away what the Bible says about the value of singleness for the life of the church, if we're going to value marriage the way the Bible values marriage, we should be a congregation that is ready to help and promote and assist with and rejoice over marriage. You should be involved in thoughtful and appropriate ways in helping single young adults interested in marriage get married. Now listen very carefully. This is not permission for you to be nosy or a busybody or a gossip or to style yourself as a matchmaker. This is not a warrant for you to try to unload your oddball cousin on some young good man who's going to fix her. What I'm saying is that if you're married, if you're a little further down the road, you should be thinking about the role that God might have you play in encouraging someone else in the path toward marriage. Here's specifically what I'm thinking. We read this morning Titus 2. We were reading that passage a few minutes ago. It charges older women in the congregation with the responsibility of training younger women in the arts and skills necessary for marriage. Do you notice the text does not charge mothers alone with that responsibility? It's the church's responsibility. Who does Paul want younger women to look to for help in this area? Older women in the congregation. You here in this church, you older, wiser, more mature women, are supposed to be intentionally involved in training young women for marriage. You older, wiser, more mature men, you are to be intentionally involved in preparing young men for the leadership that marriage entails. 
Think about this from one perspective. Some of you are involved in, in teaching Sunday school classes or uh, Awana clubs. Are you giving them Bible information or are you helping them to understand how what they read or how what they learn will help them be a pure, wise, loving leader? Not just content, not just a story, but, but can you help them understand? Are you, are you thinking about how the story of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan helps us think about loving our neighbor and no one is a closer neighbor than your wife or your husband? You think about that when, when you teach, when you talk to them? See, I, I hear this type of thinking, in, in, and actually the words of, of our, our children's choir leaders, Patricia Busby and her, her cohorts, that they're not just about teaching our kids songs. They want to raise up worshipers. There's a difference. You just don't want to teach people in your sphere of influence knowledge. You want to show them this is how this will play out in your life. It is not out of bounds for you when you're teaching a a 15-year-old guy to say, someday when you're married, someday if you get married, this will help you. Knowing this will serve you well. Our men's ministry is placing an emphasis on mentoring. Men, there are young men who, who need help in pursuing marriage, who need help in maintaining a lifelong relationship. They need someone to tell them to be brave. And they need someone to, to pick them up if she says no. Maybe they need to be introduced to someone at dinner at your house. Every dating, every courting couple needs someone standing behind them, with them, to encourage them. That's what our church should offer. If you're single, are you ready to receive that, that help? Have you told someone older than you, not your peers, someone older than you, uh, the, someone older and wiser that, that you desire marriage? It's something that you, that you want. Have you asked them for help? Have you asked them for accountability? For counsel? Is there someone, someone in the church who can deliver a well-timed dope slap if you're going behind the boundaries of what's normal and wise? What I'm calling here for here demands tremendous maturity. Tremendous maturity. How do you mentor a young man or a young woman in godly relationships without taking sides or without engaging in gossip or without fomenting jealousy or about just, without just being goofy? It's almost impossible. Of course, several things I'm saying are almost impossible. Men have to step forward, take risks. You have to think about a lifelong commitment. It's an impossible thing. Is it even possible for for sinful human beings to help move one another towards godly relationships? Thankfully, we believe that the God who does more than all we ask or imagine is on our side. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come before you this morning and there are, as you, you certainly know, you created the heart, there are so many more things that could be said as we gather together. But I come before you, Father, for Christ's sake. We want our church to be filled with, with marriages that honor Jesus Christ. And would you help us as a congregation to encourage one another towards that? We fail in many ways We ask for sanctifying and forgiving grace to help in this regard. 
Help us as the congregation to value and approve of and delight in singleness and also to recognize your good pleasure in, in marriage. We, this balance, it's, it's amazing and astounding to us. Would, would you do that work? Guard hearts, guard minds, guard tongues in this room that we might glorify Jesus Christ by showing to the world a better way. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.